That's all praise that I need to know, five minutes. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the We're Talking Football podcast coming to you from a shared universe podcast studio. I'm Weston. With me to my left, as always, is my right hand man, Lou. Lou, I got to tell you, this jam throws me back, not just back, way back to cruising down the parkway, having my driver's license, sunroof open, blasting this joint as loud as my mother's Nissan Altima <laughs> speakers could possibly go. God, I love this song, and that puts me in such a good mood this evening. Yeah, I always roll down the Route 9, you know, uh, southbound, just blasting this song, thinking I was the shit. I think I might have had my first 40 ounce to this song. Was it, it was it OE or Steel Reserve? It was Colt 45. Oh. I was a little high class. Old E is like the bottom of the barrel. Went to school in the boogie down Bronx. So that's how we. That's how we got down. This is high school days. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I was You're twenty. High- I, by the way, I was twenty one when I graduated high school, so I was legal. <laughs> yeah, I was in the remedial classes. I would never drink <laughs> underage. Um, Lou, your high school experience a little bit different than mine. Growing up in how all your boys were in how me going to Red Band Catholic, I had to cruise the Parkway to do everything that I was doing. <laughs> so it was just me jamming out on the highway. Um, but it's been quite a bit. We've been away a little bit, kind of gathering our, our thoughts here to come back and, and break down the 2021 NFL draft. I'm really, really excited to be back in the studio, mainly to get this recording in the in the books as we kind of begin to wrap up the NFL offseason, but a lot to cover. Yep. Some top stories heading into the draft that we'll definitely touch upon, some that were lurking around day of the draft that we're definitely going to discuss. Want to dive into these topics, those questions. And then let's rock out with our actual draft coverage and, and recap. But I'm going to let you kind of unveil to, to the listeners how you and I are going to approach that recap. Yeah, pretty much we're going to put a bow on this whole uh, draft season right now. Uh, it's sad. I hate to see it go, but I do love to watch it come. So uh, a couple of things we're going to discuss you know, during this show today. We're going to identify two players that we felt that uh, were landed up in perfect spots with perfect teams. Uh, it's almost like a match made in heaven type of thing. Uh, we're going to also identify one winner and one loser traditionally, going over why we thought the, uh, those teams did not pre- execute well, or perhaps they did execute well. And then we're going to you know, bring it back. And I'm talking about way back when we did our initial fan, uh, fan raves and rants, where we, we will act as the fan again to kind of identify another winner and another loser from a fan's perspective. We had fun last time. I think I cried. I, I cursed. I was heated. Uh, we laughed. So we thought we decided to bring it back because of the millions of fans that we got the feedback from really enjoyed it. All millions. They yeah. called out those tears that that came upon you. And I think I almost had a stroke. I'm up for, the by the way, I'm up for an Emmy. I'm not I sure. Can't wait to see the yeah, award It's me show. and Leo. Me yeah. and Leo. <laughs> awesome. So I'm really excited to get into that, but I, I think it would be darn near impossible to even dive into that portion of the recap without addressing some some of the obvious that kind of the let's call it a dark stormy cloud that hung over the draft. And what I'm articulating here is really the Aaron Rodgers saga 
and the dilemma that the Green Bay Packers are faced with. So give me your insight and speculation as to what is kind of transpiring with Aaron Rodgers and, and the Green Bay Packers. I'll give you my thoughts, and then maybe we can kind of discuss what we think the the ultimate outcome might be. I'm torn. Uh, a part of me, I apologize, I am going to sound like a boomer, and I guess I'm not sure if that just happens with you. Welcome to the club. I know. It, it kills me. First, I thought it was it was his – with with Aaron Rodgers, it's just him, him basically being upset about you know where the franchise is going, the lack of commitment, and what have you. So I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, they haven't drafted a first round wide receiver in God knows when, but they drafted a lot of second round receivers. You know, Devontae Adams, Cobb, you name it. So I, I I understand where he was coming from, perhaps, but now it's coming out this past week or so, him basically saying. He wants a commitment from the Green Bay Packers financially and also that he would be the starting quarterback. And I'm like flabbergasted by this. Let me tell you why. What the hell are you worried about who's going to take over your job? If you're good, you know, you never heard Tom Brady doing this, for example. He never worried about Jimmy Garoppolo. You never heard, you know, a story coming out in regards to that. Just do your job. Just be good. They got love. Not not only well, yeah, it's with the idea to replace you, but really you weren't the ideal candidate for health. So they needed someone competent behind you. It wasn't just about trying to replace you. It was we need someone to upgrade the quarterback room. So I feel like he went. He's changing his his storyline from I want a commitment from the Green Bay Packers. And he's trying to parlay that into a bigger deal now because he's a little pissed that he's not one of the, the higher-paid quarterbacks. And it kind of, kind of pisses me off as a boomer. I, I agree. Um, I think he should be one of the highest-paid quarterbacks, right? So I totally understand his but why go through these, and grievance. These yeah, this is not the way to 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 garnish that. I, from Roger's perspective, I, I, I'm in the same vein as your thought, as what, why are you worried about this? This is how he came into the picture in Green Bay with the same idea... We had Brett Favre. There was no immediate expectation to transition to Aaron Rodgers. That transition took several years, and they let Brett Favre run his course until it was time. Jordan Love, when it's time, it might be time, but there's nothing indicating that it will be time anytime soon. On the surface, I think very much, you're not getting me any help. You're not getting me any help, right? Like, you're not drafting support in the first few rounds. I'm ca- I'm single-handedly carrying this team to consecutive NFC championships, etc. And losing. And losing. So how are you going to get me over the hump? How are you going to get this franchise back over the hump? Like, you're wasting my prime years. I mean, this guy just literally is coming off an, an MVP season. And they did the same damn thing in the draft. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. I personally feel it's not so much the direction of the organization, it's the, his involvement in the direction of the organization. Everything you read says he had no idea that they were going to attempt to draft a quarterback in the first round. And it's not management's responsibility to include any player in the decision-making, but this is what we're seeing across all sports. If I'm your franchise player, if I'm the face of the franchise, tap me on the shoulder, get my opinion, and I think that's where his frustration is coming from. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. It came out that Bruce Arians, before they selected uh, Trask out of Florida, they discussed with Tom Brady, hey, this is where we're possibly going to go if Trask falls to this point. 
So they kept Brady in the loop, and Brady was, you know, apparently supportive. But like that being said, why, why do they garner so much power? Like I get it, they're the face of the franchise, but like back then, I felt like you just beat the man behind you. Yeah. I've talked about this several episodes ago where it's like the NBA mentality, right? Where the players control the team and this, yeah, control. This, this, going, this, it, this is where it's, it's going. You know what? The NBA, I mean, you can like it or whatever, but I think it's kind of getting, it gets ridiculous how basically they force the trades and, because they're, they're little babies in yeah. that regards. And I hate because I'm not a boomer at heart. I really am. I'm sounding like a, like a 75-year-old man. This didn't happen back in my day, but still – just, just go out there and play and do it behind closed doors. You don't need all these, you know, this like, you know, reality TV type shit to, yep. to keep on like, you know, ragging through everyone through the mud. I, I think what you just referenced with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and around Kyle Trask, like I think that's prudent, but it's certainly not required, right? Like at the end of the day, whether you're Aaron Rodgers, whether you're Patrick Mahomes, I don't care who you are, you're an employee of the organization. I assure you that my employer does not include me in decisions that they are making. And that, that's easy for us to say as a fan, right? Like, this is their livelihood, what they've devoted to this team, to the city, to the sport. So I'm not, I'm not saying I don't have empathy for Aaron Rodgers, right? But I also believe the things that are rising to the top on the surface as to what his grievances are are moot points because all he's got to do is show up and play and play to the ability that he's been playing at. And you never have to worry about this. Like the floor, Gutenkust, you know, the, the general manager, like they're not idiots. Like they're not just going to get rid of their best player. They want to keep you too. And they're just trying to do it prudently. So I think the issue for me is not the message or how Rogers feels. It's how the message is getting relayed. Who's leaking these things, man. You know, it's not coming from the team. It's coming from Rogers, coming from Rogers' camp. Is it coming from Rogers' crazy ass girlfriend? I, who knows? I mean, listen, we're speculating here, but obviously there's plenty of opinions out there on Aaron Rodgers, the person. And I'm not going to comment on those, but those, sig- those kind of, for me, signal towards that. It most likely is him and his camp that are releasing these sort of things. And everybody's scrambling to do their best to squash it. And what a dirtbag move, too, though, like trying to like tell players, like, come on. Yeah. NBA mentality, man. Just bring them with you. Let's go set up camp somewhere else. It's just the way it works now. I'm just saying, like, all right, you can have your issues, but don't – because now you're causing issues between other players and other factions, meaning maybe some players don't agree with you and they want to be in Green Bay. Yeah. But, like, now they're seen as turncoats because they go against Aaron. Now you just open up a whole can of worms. I I don't know why you wouldn't want to be in Green Bay. Two consecutive NFC championships, competitive every year with a winnable division. Like, that's utopia. I know why you wouldn't want to be in Green Bay. It's freaking cold there. (laughs) And ain't shit to do. And you got nothing but a mall out there. I'm pointing to my our executive producer on the side over here because he and I went to a 49ers-Packers game in the playoffs in 2013 when they were forecasting it was going to be negative 40 degrees below zero with wind chill. It is freaking cold at Lambeau and in Green Bay. I promise you that. If I was getting drafted, I'll tell you right now. I would not be thrilled I'm going to Green Bay. No, but who doesn't want to go to Titletown with that that history? And again, just competitive play. Nobody wants to go to a perennial loser. You want to go to a perennial winner. So give me 30 seconds on what you think the ultimate outcome is here. Do you have a coin? I'll flip it. 
I think he's. What's your gut tell you? Two things. I, my gut says he stays, but if he doesn't, he goes to the uh, Broncos. Because Elway, I know he's not the GM, but you know, yeah. he pulls those strings. Elway loves those quarterbacks that are aging. So I, th- I think he stays in Green Bay. I do too. And I think he comes back with a. a I think this is how he motivates himself, gets himself all riled no, up. No, this is how he gets, he's going to get a new deal, ensure guaranteed money, and make sure he's a starter for the next three years. Lou, this is the NFL, right? Like, you have to wake up competitive to want to win every single day like you can't lose that hunger and i think sometimes you have to figure out ways to like reinvent yourself whether it's his porn mustache that he's grown out over time or whether it's building a feud with with his own staff and team and teammates i think he stays in green bay and i think he comes back and competes for the mvp of the league again because he's that talented and i don't think age is slowing him down in the next few years, my I'll, opinion. I'll say, oh, you know what? I'll say he gets hurt this year. That's what's going to happen. I hope he doesn't. No, I mean, no, I'm not NFL's wishing. better when right, Green so Bay's competitive. Right, so that came no, out, I know what you're saying. Out. I know what you're saying. But I, can I'm just... picture, I can picture him getting hurt and then Jordan Love, yep. you know, pretty totally much taking it. the reins and failing or succeeding. Totally get it. All right. So the, the next biggest topic going into the draft, and you and I commented on this when we were doing our like mock draft, that the draft really began at three. We kind of... Everybody was confident in what picks one and two were going to look like. And the talk of the town was the 49ers trading up to number three. Who was going to warrant the number three overall pick? And for weeks and weeks and weeks after this move was made, the the blue check marks of the world, the draft pundits of the world would tell you that it was Mac Jones all day long, no questions asked. And lo and behold, it wasn't Mac Jones. It was Trey Lance and... The 49ers brass would tell you that they kind of made that decision well in advance of even making this trade up to number three. So help me sort through some of this smoke. Where's the truth? Where's the lie? What's your gut tell you? I can tell you right now, I'm so happy that this storyline is over. This was, But it's a- not because we're here talking about it. No, but me and like we are basically, you know, pu- you know, we're laying it to rest. We're setting on fire and say, go free. Just leave. Because this was just, I thought this was every day was something quite annoying. And, and listen, I get, I hope I don't piss off 49er fans, but I probably will. I thought it was Shanahan trying, you know, just trying to like, he, he was basking in the the attention, just, you know, just just being kind of douchey about it, in my own opinion. That being said, I I've said before, there's no way you can give up that much capital for Mac Jones. There's just no way. I thought it was going to be Justin Fields. I thought it should have been Trey Lance. Uh, but I, I just feel like, I don't know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and I, there's probably conflicting reports. And this is my own personal opinion, so I don't obviously know anything. I do think there was a, somewhat of a struggle between scouts and John Lynch, I mean, scouts and John Lynch versus Shanahan, because I do think Shanahan is an arrogant uh, coach because he's brilliant. Brilliant coaches are arrogant. You Sean, NFL, there are egos everywhere. Listen, Sean Payton's an arrogant coach. Why? Because he's brilliant. He thinks he can win with Taysom Hill and Winston. You know, we were just talking about before uh, McVay. Yep. He's a brilliant. We'll talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, he, he's a brilliant coach and he's been making arrogant moves. So I just think it, it, it was arrogance. I can do. 
I can make Mac Jones the next Drew Brees type of thing. So I do think there was, a, in my opinion, there was an internal struggle. A long-winded answer. Yeah. Um, I I will give credit where credit is due. You have been on the Trey Lance bandwagon for an extended period of time. You know that Trey Lance was on my wish list as yes. who I wanted that pick yes. to be. But I bought into what I was reading and you what did. I was hearing over time. Evidenced by when we did our mock draft show, I had them taking Mac Jones. Here is where I think fantasy meets reality. And the reality was they had probably for months been having a discussion about making a move in a draft to go get a signal caller. No secret there, right? I think they were intending to do such with probably three names, potentially even four names that would possibly be available to them by getting up into there. I think early on, it was probably rooted out that Mac Jones wasn't going to be the pick. But when, again, the blue check marks and the draft pundits started talking about it, there's no benefit to Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch dispelling any of those rumors and speaking out. At this point, it's a game to them. Like, let you speculate who you want to speculate. I know who I want to go with. And I still do very much believe in my heart that Mac Jones was in consideration for the number three pick. I don't I don't buy for a second that the decision wasn't made until 24 or 48 hours prior to yeah, the but draft. I don't, but I'm gonna say I don't believe it was also made as soon as they made that trade. I don't I don't, I don't think like we made that trade, we got Trey Lance. No, I don't I agree. think it was like that. I agree. At all. I agree. But I think shortly thereafter the scales probably started to tilt in Trey Lance's favor. Because they use common sense. And they looked at tape, right? Like, I do believe an aspect of the story that was told where Kyle Shanahan was enamored with Trey Lance. I believe he was probably, due to his own arrogance and his own ability, was probably enamored with all of these quarterbacks. They all brought something to the table and he would have been comfortable. But then what probably happened is he shared that information, shared that tape with John Lynch, Adam Peters, and these guys fell, fell hard for Trey. And then that's when the convincing had to be done to get Kyle to lean in a very specific direction versus like, hey, I'll take any of these guys and I'll be successful with any of these guys. Mm -hmm. Right. I do think it took other eyeballs to pound the table to say, imagine what this guy can do in our offense and not just in our offense, what dynamic he could add to the offense that maybe we haven't been considering in the first place by having a just traditional drop back in the pocket type quarterback. So mm-hmm. I think there's, uh, I, I, again, I think probably weeks before the draft, it wasn't going to be Mac Jones unless their plan changed. And I think they would have been comfortable. I think they made them the calculated risk to go up and to get a quarterback and didn't want to be sitting at 12 just in case all five of these quarterbacks didn't make it out. And maybe Miami was the only one that was really entertaining trade talks. Everybody else had a, a different path in mind is is my guess. And that just put him in position to go get, in my opinion, the quarterback with the highest ceiling in this draft. So my opinion, what I felt like when they traded up, you'd be like, there's no way they could have traded out with not knowing a quarterback, what quarterback they would want. That's not necessarily true. That's been happening more frequently you know, the, the most. And we were going to talk, you know, you talk about the Eagles when they traded up. They didn't know who the Rams were going to take. Was it Jarrett? Was it Goff or was it Wentz? Yep. Uh, also, the Jets, they traded up with the Colts. They didn't know which quarterbacks were going to go. They just knew there was a, a bunch of quarterbacks they felt comfortable at the time. 
during their process, whoever fell, they were comfortable taking, quote unquote, that the next man up because they evaluate all numerous quarterbacks and they're like, we're comfortable. It's a significant upgrade to what we currently have. I don't personally believe they they just like, we got to get up and then we'll do our due diligence because we have a good feeling. You know, well, more than a good feeling that Lawrence was going to go first and then uh, Wilson would go second. And then we'll do our due diligence and see who fits our, you know, either of these guys will be a significant upgrade to Jimmy G because their ability either just to either stay on the field. So no. I think that was their, 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 they said, we'll figure out later. Yeah. And, but that speaks to the confidence that they had in the draft class yeah, but you right, of the quarterbacks, yeah. at least versus what they have on yeah. the roster to date, right? You, you don't think they well, – I, what I thought – I mean, all this smoke. Where was the smoke coming from? You're going to say the blue – I do not think the blue check marks and you know the draft pundits, I do not think they were the ones 100% manufacturing. I think they were – I there's – there's leaks out all the time. I think there were. I think the Niners at a point were probably manufacturing fake leaks. But why would you do that? Like, what was the what was beneficial just to see everyone spin their wheels and stuff? That's why I thought it was kind of like a like a showboaty. It, it seemed unnecessary, right? Like I, I'm if, talking about like Schefter when Schefter felt pretty confident at one point that it was going to be Mac Jones. Schefter has a pulse, you know, the thumb, you know, the pulse. You know, the, the pulse of like every team. Yep. So it's not like these like random like Twitter guys. Where was this coming from? I mean, you had Peter Schrager, right? Yeah. Uh, like our, our fellow Monmouth County, New Jerseyan who has direct ties to John Lynch working with him at Fox Sports and covered the San Francisco 49ers. And he was talking about in several mock drafts that this was Mac Jones. I agree. I think there was probably a leak at some point in time. Intentional. But why? Because... This is the NFL. It's head game, head game, head game, head game. It's chess match. What are they getting out of this? They get – so this goes back to like Mike Shanahan, right? This is all Kyle has ever known is that don't ever – when it comes to the draft, don't ever show your hand because there are people that want to mimic your success that you've had. And the more information you give them, the more you're arming them to counter punch your lead punch. Um, And I just just think – and then it got to a point where I just thought it was fun. It was probably just fun for them and see, entertaining see, I for think them. You're over, I think you're overcomplicated. I think that was it. I don't think it was to see who was the rat in the you know in the quote unquote family. Where I just think let's have some fun with this mm-hmm. because they do come off kind of like that. And I love it. I'm here. And for I knew it. For the, in the beginning, you know, that was concerned with John Lynch when he first came on to the Niners. They wanted to, you know, that was almost like a surprise because they wanted to see. Where's the internal information? Like who's leaking that type type of stuff? This was a totally different situation. All right. So we dis- we dispelled all rumors and we dispelled nothing. We just have our belief into what was taking place. But we had a fun time watching the draft and you know uh, you know enjoying the draft. We sure good. did. Can I shout out my viral video that, Go ahead. that generated like thirteen thousand views on its own? North Dakota State picked it up. I was in their hype video. The NFL.com picked that up. So I was partially famous for all of 15 seconds and I'll take my 15 seconds of fame. Also, I mean, if we're going to slap ourselves on the, you know, pat ourselves on the back, can we also go over my mock draft? How I got 11, right? That was rather impressive. Eh, it's just another day in the office for me. Rather. I ended with eight, but when you're talking about 11 out of 32, much more impressive than eight out of 32. Back so. to back years, by the way, of getting 11 right. During COVID? I mean, that's pretty impressive. During COVID. When you can't travel and interview players and no, you can't. No, I mean, like, uh, like, no, like, you got, I'm talking about, like, for example, the combine's big. Yeah, of course. So, like, to, 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 valuations were totally different this year. Exactly. It was harder. Yep. Um, all right. So, before we get into our true draft recap, 
I'm going to throw you for a curveball here, Lou. Okay. This might be the most important question we ask of the day. All right. Hit me. I'm kind of scared. On draft night, mm-hmm. Commissioner Roger Goodell calls your name in the first round of the NFL draft. What's your entry music? Or what song do you parade out onto the stage at? Ooh. See, I'm like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I have like split personalities. So like the badass in me would probably do something want to do something like Biggie, like, you know, Juicy or like uh, Sky's the Limit. But my goofy side it will probably take over and it would probably be the NWO theme song. Right? Well, I'm not going to agree with that. No, that wouldn't my, even be in my I, no, top me and my, priority I of probably, list. Like, this underneath, is your question, your underneath, answer. Underneath my custom you know, pinstripe suit, uh, I probably would have an NWO shirt underneath my suit and I would open it up and just walk the walk like NWO. I just had a brainstorm and I hope it's documented in this video and this audio. Next year when we do our draft, our mock draft, we're coming dressed in the outfits that we would wear if we were being drafted. By the way, boom, boom, boom. By the way, I do have two NWO shirts, the traditional black and white and the wolf pack. So what am I going to wear? I got to rethink my partner in this podcast. <laughs> what about you, bro? Yeah, what about you? What would you what would you uh walk out to? Oh, this is this is super easy. It would be between two. I, I, can, can I guess? You can totally guess. And you probably guess right, actually. Uh probably by wham. Wake me up before you go. Get out of here. <laughs> that would be as I was leaving the stage. But as I'm coming out to make my presence felt, it is unquestionably return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. Ooh, no questions asked. I'm here. I've arrived. You saw me ball in college and I am returning at the next level. The only one that would be in competition for it would be DJ Cool, Let Me Clear My Throat. Okay. okay. And that would just be more like, <clears throat> I'm here to make that statement. That that, but that's like a distant second. Yeah, It'd w- be Mark Morrison all day long. I wonder, listeners, let us know what you think. Who's who, who would have the better entry song? Return of the Mac, fantastic song, or something a little out of the box? NWO theme song. Comment on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter where you'll see all of this. Yes, Return of the Mac. So, all right, let's get serious now. I'm having a lot of fun, but we still have a lot to cover here, Lou. So as for our recap, I'm going to give you the honors. Do you want to alternate? Yes, alternate. Okay. So we have two players each that we love and we think fell to the right fit, right spot. Um, Kick us off. I'm not going to say love. I just felt like these are your match.com like, or your bumbles. Like, it's just a good match. I don't know if we I We are like- way too old to be talking about bumble or <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> so, uh, we yes. should start over. Yeah. Okay. So, my first uh, match made in heaven was Justin Fields going to the Bears. We have been hard on the Bears all offseason, but now it's time to put our bibs on, get the fancy forks out, and get those fancy knives out. Enjoy some humble pie. If you were to tell me by May the Bears would have the most promising slash stable quarterback situation in the NFC North, I'd probably ask you, who's your drug dealer? Because it sounds like you got some good shit. <laughs> Look at that division. Seriously. Yep. Packers have an aging Rodgers, or do they? I don't know if he's going to be there. If Green Bay can't re- uh, reconcile with their MVP quarterback, that means Jordan Love is the starting quarterback for the Packers. Would you rather Jordan Love or would you rather Justin Fields? 
The Lions have a Los Angeles castaway that looks like he will just be a glorified handoff machine in Detroit. The Vikings have the hot and cold Kirk Cousins that seems to always come up short in big games. So now leaves us with the Bears. The Bears are the only one in the division that have identified their quarterback of the future. You see why this is all making sense? Now I'm going to preface this. Like I said, I'm not the biggest field supporter. I had him ranked as the fourth quarterback in this year's draft. And all that being said, the bar is really low for him to be deemed successful in Chicago. If Foles and Trubisky can lead Chicago to eight wins, imagine what Fields will be able to do. <clears throat> but this isn't Mitch or Mitchell, whatever you want to call him, Trubisky reincarnated 2.0. Trubisky only had one full year of play at North Carolina, whereas Fields has not only had a significant amount of game action, much more than Trubisky, but has also been able to show to be his opponents with both his arm and his field, uh, and his leg. Sorry, He's more dynamic than Trubisky coming out of college. I personally think the selection was good for both parties because Fields is going to be able to provide some stability to that Bears offense and even excite that fan base. The fan base was pissed when they came out. Andy Dalton's our QB1. You cannot post that on social media. What were you thinking? So Fields will maybe kind of reconcile those, you know, those hurt feelings. Also, perhaps the idea of playing with Fields might bring back Allen Robinson back to the negotiation table to Chicago so he can, they can sign their best playmaker to a long-term deal. You think Allen Robinson wanted to come back and play with Andy Dolan or Foles or Trubisky? No. Fields might make him go, hmm, let's see what this young cat has. Make him go, hmm. Exactly. That's, a, that's up for the running if I was coming out, too. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and you know what Chicago can do for Fields? Obviously, more you know, besides paying him his guaranteed money, they can provide Fields a good defense to keep him in the game. They also can provide a good run, rushing attack too to take pressure off the young signal caller. The last like seven games of the seasons when the Bears finally identified who they are as a team, we're a rushing team. Nagy is not used to that because he came from Kansas City. He was always throwing that mentality, West Coast offense throwing. But they really started doing well and putting points up when they just – they really was a ground and pound play defense. So that can also take a little pressure off fields as well. All in all, I'd say it's a – I call this a win-win. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I was actually super impressed to see Chicago trade up and, and get there. And I know personally a couple Bears fans who were equally as ecstatic about the move. I find it – I know some the, the outside perspective might be this was a move of desperation for Nagy and uh, God, I'm drawing a blank on the general manager. Um, yeah, me too. But you know, no, it wasn't a desperation. It would have been desperation no, to trade up for Jones. No, yes. yes, but just a splash move because all signs are pointing to this might be their last seasons under the helm unless things go right here. But I just think they they identified a weakness at the most important position on the field, and they went out and got a top-caliber prospect who's going to reinvigorate fans, reinvigorate players. To your point, does this bring Allen Robinson back to the drawing board or back to the, the negotiating table? Does this allow them in the future to invest in other playmakers around the quarterback, knowing that they're not just going to a land of no opportunity? Um, a lot to like about it. Uh, I was just I applaud Chicago for for making the move. And we Not, we were hard on them. We we Yeah. Any chance we took we, we I beat them up. shit on them in their free agency. Literally, so, you pulled down your pants uh, yeah. when you were covering and you just just yeah. went to town. <laughs> All right. So, um let me let me dive in here and you give me your thoughts. 
And Lou, I assure you, this is not a homer pick. This is a true belief, even from an alert, outside alert, perspective. Homer pick coming yeah. up. Number three overall, Trey Lance going to the 49ers. Okay, talk to me. I, I love the player. I love the fit. I clearly love the team. But all that aside, I just think this is a, a, a match made in heaven for some, some obvious reasons. So let's I, identify some of that obvious. Unlike some of the other rookie quarterbacks that were drafted in this draft, like Lawrence, Wilson, maybe even Fields, there's zero expectation for this guy to start day one. I would challenge you to tell me the last quarterback drafted in the top even five of the of the draft that had to play right away that had moderate success. Joe Burrow? How can we even talk about him? He didn't even finish an entire year, right? Yeah, but when he played. Yeah, right. I'd go all the way back to Andrew Luck, right? Like, it, it's just a rest. Sometimes it's a recipe for disaster. Most often than not. Yeah. And there, there's reasons behind that. Because when you're picking in the top five of a draft, you're usually a god-awful team. Yes. It's typically four wins or less in an NFL season, meaning you don't have talent around that individual and you're asking this guy to be your unsung hero. I see this marriage going the Alex Smith-Patrick Mahomes route, right? Where unless Trey Lance just plays his way onto the field and comes into training camp and just fully digests the, the the playbook and outperforms Jimmy in practices and doing all of those things, then, then bless him. But there's no expectation and no pressure for him to do such. He was drafted by a team that was marred by injury last season, leading to a six-win season, that also traded up to number three from number 12. They were not organically picking at number three, i.e., he's surrounded by a potentially young playoff type roster at a lot of skill positions like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. We know what Shanahan does with the the backfield, even drafted some young rookie running backs that are going to be part of that mix. So there's just young talent around him that he can grow with that it doesn't that rapport doesn't need to be established in year one. Um, I just find this to be a unique slot for a kid like this to find himself in not carrying those expectations can go in Take his time. If he plays well, great. If not, the veteran's there. The veteran will lead. We'll see what happens. But also a lot to love about the kid, right? Himself, right? 6'4", 220, a 4'5", guy. He played under center in college, which is what Shanahan covets. He didn't make his bones in the shotgun. He has super impressive arm talent. He's played with his back to the defense. All of this coincides with the fit towards Shanahan's offense, if you ask me. I think he not only fits the offense, I think, and I said this before, so I'm stealing my own words, I think he can help add another dimension to the offense that can spark some more creativity in that genius mind uh, of Kyle Shanahan. Now, Trey's not flawless. 17 games started at the FCS level. He's got accuracy issues. But these are all the same knocks that I heard on Josh Allen. Yep. Right? Trey, uh, also Justin Herbert, too. And I would say things turned out okay for those individuals and i see this being the same for the the trey lance san francisco 49er marriage my opinion yeah i mean to kind of piggyback off of that i'll just throw in my two cents because that's all i have in my pocket right now but uh i was a big trey lance fan i told you from the get that's who the guy had to be I, 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 from the beginning of this process it had to be trey lance the ball flies out of his hands he's very efficient 
He doesn't turn the ball over, so he's a great decision maker. Now, yeah, some accuracy issues. All right, whatever. But this is the guy that will add that. Like I'm just reiterating what you're saying, but will add another dimension to that Niners offense. Last time, what Shannon has a mobile quarterback like this that can throw the ball was RG three. Yep. Look, look what he did. Yep. He was so dynamic and creative with RG three. This is going to be exciting. Now, what I like about Lance more than RG3, RG3 was, you know, a beanpole. Lance is a big guy. This guy reminds me of Steve McNair. He runs over. He people. can run around you, or guess what? He can drop the shoulder and, and rumble. He almost had like 200 yards in that one game he played, yep. rushing. So I like it from a durability standpoint, too. So I, I, this had to be the guy from the get. And I'm, I'm happy they, uh, they, you know, they came to their senses and they got, you know, the, their guy. Yep. Me too, as a fan, but from a pure NFL fan logic perspective, this is a good fit for both player and team. Yes. Can't. Give me number two. All right. Do I come off as like a one-upper? Right. I kind of do, I feel like, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a you. Yeah. I'm a, I'm the whole car ride here, you're one-upping me. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to one-up you by not only being a homer, but I'm going to give you a double dose of being a homer. We didn't discuss this in the blueprint. <laughs> I will the the next prospect or prospects I'm going to say that were a perfect match made in heaven. Rashawn Slater and Asante Samuel Jr. going to the Chargers. Now I know I'm cheating here, but frankly I'm a, a huge proponent of if you ain't cheating, you're not trying in my book. And I don't really see this as cheating. I see this just mean being a little more creative. So just roll with it, okay? My time to shine. Going into the going into the draft, Los, Los Angeles had two glaring needs: their left tackle and their cornerback position. Penciled in at left tackle prior to the draft was Trey Pipkins out of Sioux Fall, who had an, who was an awful reach of a third round selection in 2019 draft, and he's just been overwhelmed and outmatched during his two years in the league. As for LA's second cornerback, they literally had no one after they parted away uh, Casey Hayward. I don't mean that like in a facetious way. If you looked at Arlad's depth chart, there was no one there at uh, cornerback too. They were just waiting for someone to be dra- or selected there, or drafted or signed. But let's you know, let's start with Sean Slater first selection in round one. Coming to 2021, there were three certainties in life: death, taxes, and charges having a putrid offensive line. I know I can start regurgitating the stats on how bad LA's offensive line was. Like LA had the 10th highest quarterback pressure rate allowed last season, 28.1% per next gen stats, yada, yada, yada. There's no need to go through these stats. I know I'm a very analytical person. There's just the eye test. You were waiting to go through those stats. No, no. I, I, I Listen, I could have, I, I have like, you should see what I have in front of me. I had like seven stats I could kind of keep on going and going, but the eye test was simple, man. They stunk. Enter Rashawn Slater, man. Slater was my fifth-ranked player on my big board. Only Lawrence, Sewell, Pitts, and Chase were ahead of him, by the way, in that order. He was the last blue-chip player left on the board after the Lions uh, selected Sewell. There are two reasons why I love Slater coming out of Northwestern. He's intelligent. You don't really hear people talking about intelligence but an offensive line. I, you have to watch this whiteboard session that I watched where Slater basically was going through a running play and he was able not only to recognize his assignment during the play, but everyone else's primary and secondary responsibilities on the offensive line as well. I was blown away. The fact that this guy knew everything was going on to the left of him, behind him, you name it. 
He's also athletically gifted. He tested extremely well during his pro day. His relative athletic score was 9.74 out of 10, which ranked him 30th out of 100. Oh, sorry, 1,100 offensive tackles from 1987 to 2021. He's extremely athletic. He's strong. There's a video of him doing a front squat, a front squat of 650 pounds. Let's take a look at what Slater's going to That's gonna... six of me. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> one and a half <laughs> on a good day of me. Well, let's take a look at what Slater's going to be able to bring to, on the field to the Chargers offensive line. I won't go into how Slater was able to neutralize Chase Young because that was another exhausting story during this draft process, and everyone's heard that ad nauseum at this point. I just want to show you how productive he was in college. Slater only allowed five total pressures over on over 350 pass blocking snaps in 2019 per PFF. He also has the ability to play all along the offensive line at a high level. Not only left tackle, he played right tackle really well. Some people think he can be even a better guard than he is a tackle, which isn't crazy. So that's going to provide the Chargers some flexibility, especially something they need when it comes to the offensive line as they're always marred by injuries you know, along that front. Now let's shift gears. Let's go to Asante Samuel Jr. falling to L.A. in round two. One of my draft crushes. I, I, and you were right by this. Samuel was my fourth-ranked cornerback behind Horn, Sertain, and Newsom. No, I didn't have Farley ahead of him because all the question marks coming out uh, during this draft process, like his back injury, his inexperience playing cornerback in college and what have you. The fact that the Chargers were – the fact that the Chargers made Asante Samuel Jr. the eighth cornerback off the board – is insane. There's Jackpot. No, yeah, there's no way you can't tell me there's no there's no way four of the cornerbacks were better like, were better than him coming out of this draft process. <clears throat> Size doesn't always matters is what I told the ladies in college, but it's also something I believe in when scouting cornerbacks. Only reason why I I feel like Samuel fell was because of his height. If the dude was two inches taller, he would have been the second cornerback taken in this year's draft. Top fifteen in the draft, unquestionably. Yeah. He's 5'10", the same height as both Tredavious White and Jari Alexander, and they seem to be doing just well in the NFL. Notice the trend, trend lately, too, by the way? Teams were once obsessed by those bigger, more physical wide receivers, i.e. your Julios, your Calvins, your Hopkins. Defense countered by drafting and developing bigger cornerbacks like Shermans, the Ramseys, and what have you. So what did offenses do? They countered themselves. They start going with the smaller, quicker, shiftier wide receivers to give these bigger cornerbacks fits because they were too stiff. Look at last year. Six of the top 13 wide receivers in uh, yardage for 2020 were all six feet or smaller. Stephon Diggs, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, Tyreek Hill, and Brandon, Brandon Cooks. I was shocked by that. That guy, had, I did not know he played so well last year. But all of them were shorter than six feet or shorter. And even though he doesn't have the ideal size that teams cover for a boundary cornerback, he makes up for it with elite instincts and ball skills. Let's go over some things that he will be able to bring to the Chargers once again because they have been sorely missing this. He recorded a forced incompletion rate of above 20% over his course of his career at Florida State. Last year, he had three interceptions in eight games, so he has shown the ability to create turnovers and be that big-time playmaker in the secondary as well. Something the Chargers haven't had in the last three years. In 2020, Samuel allowed a 46.2% passer rating when targeted and surrendered 179 yards across eight games. His PFF coverage grade was 93.5, ranked second among 93 cornerbacks. Translation, this kid's good. He can ball. Don't let the height fool you. 
No matter where he plays, the slot or the outside, Samuel, once again, is going to be a help this defense provide flexibility because, once again, when you talk about the Chargers, you can't mention the Chargers without talking about injuries. So if they need him to go in the slot, they'll move him to the slot. But if they, if they want to stay on the outside, you can stay on the outside. But he's really going to be able to help defend those wide receivers in the wide, wild west, your Hill, your Ruggs, your Judy. And that's pretty much perfect matches right there. Thank you for the novel. Mark Twain. Yeah. On your sorry, <laughs> on your picks. Sorry. I mean, I was. Uh, it just. It was crazy. All right. No. And Slater, we'll agree with. You know how I feel about Asante Samuel. When we talked about doing this, he was one of the first names that popped to my mind right out of the gate as a kind of a, a perfect fit for the for the right team. Um, again, win win for both. I feel like. So I'm just being conscious of time here because yep. you and I are always running up against it. So we're gonna have to move. Okay. I'm going to give you my last one real fast, and then we're going to jump into some, some team aspects. I'm going to throw you for a curveball here, Lou, and I am 100% going to one-up you in return in this particular instance. What's the last position you would ever think for me to discuss? Edge? Close. You, you don't like the edge. Offensive line. Oh, <laughs> okay. Here we go. Some so, fat boys. So, some fat boys. This is a very large human being. For me... An ideal fit here for the team and the player is Sam Cosme, offensive tackle out of Texas, who went 51 overall to the Washington football team. Some of those experts out there had this guy potentially landing in the first round. So to secure him potentially midway through the second round, that's a win for the team. He's 6'6", 314 pounds, super athletic for his size. He started 34 games in three seasons at Texas in Big 12 football. That is a competitive conference. This is where I'm going to one-up you. He had a 9.9 RAS score. Holy shit. Which makes him... You blew my mind right now. Which ranks him number two among 1,119 offensive tackles since 1987. You looked up RAS. Good for you. I'm so pumped about myself (laughs) and that it worked out in this way that I got to, as you're one-upping me, I get to return the favor. We we praised Washington for what they did in free agency. Um, In a moment here, going to talk a little bit more about what they did in the draft. But to me, this guy fills a need for the team. They got great value at pick number 51 overall and somebody who's going to play in this league 10, 12 years. And they're going to hope it's it's for him. So good for Sam. He's going to a good team. Um, good for Washington. They got a good football player, a good athletic football player at a position of need. And they did it with tremendous value, not having to reach to go get that player. They sat back, rested on their laurels, and a good one fell right into their lap. Yeah, I mean, when we did our uh, offseason uh, rant and raves, I represented the Washington football team. And I love what they did uh, on during free agency. They also hit it off the, out of the park when it comes to the draft as well. Yep. Let's not give it all away. So let's get into winners and losers. Okay. Traditional first. Uh, traditional first. I, again, being conscious of time, we're going to move yep. a little quicker through this than okay. maybe we ordinarily would because I want to leave enough time for us to get into our fan because our, yep. our fan rants because those are the funnest. Yep. Who's, are you starting with a winner or are you starting with a loser? I'm going to start with a winner. Let me uh, hear it. You're so positive. <laughs> uh, Carolina Panthers I thought were a huge winner uh, they did shock the world when they took J.C. Horn cornerback out of South Carolina with the 8th overall selection 
In my opinion, he was the sixth best best player on the board, uh, on my big board. And I also feel like he was the best defensive player. I'm not going to get too much into the J.C. Horn selection. If you want to know how I feel about him, please go look at our draft prospect crushes that we liked a couple of shows back. Trans- quick clip notes version. Uh, the kid plays like Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they followed that up with a great selection with Terrace Marshall Jr., uh, wide receiver at LSU, with their second-round pick, 59th overall selection. Marshall would have been a first-round pick if it wasn't for the medical concerns. I love his size. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. He's your prototypical ex-wide receiver and was the really last of the bigger wide receivers left that I felt can make an immediate impact on a team. Also, don't forget, Marshall has familiarity with uh, Panthers offensive coordinator Joe Brady. According to PFF, since 2019, Marshall has generated a perfect NFL passer rating of 158.3 when targeted at LSU. So the fact that he played in Brady's system back then – showed production, efficiency, and now it's going to come to uh, Carolina. That's huge. I even love this pick more because it's a proactive selection, in my opinion. Ryan Anderson's only under contract for one more year, so Marshall can now provide them an heir to Anderson's uh, deep ball antics. Uh, People were freaking out when the Panthers did not pick an offensive lineman with the eighth overall selection. Relax, people. The draft is more than one round. Um and they, unlike the other experts, realized that. And they actually had a great pick in the third round with Brady Christensen out of BYU, the offensive tackle, who they picked uh, the seventh overall pick. He started gaining some buzz later on in the draft process because he tested through the roof during BYU's pro day. He had a 9.84 relative athletic score. I really like the upside Christensen can bring to this Panthers offensive line. So I did love that pick. And they followed it up more to support Darnold. Uh, with their next selection in the third round, Tommy Tremble, uh, tight end of uh, uh, Notre Dame with the 83rd overall pick. He was another player that was picking up steam towards the end of the draft process. Everyone knew he was a good blocking tight end, but what everyone didn't know was how athletic he was. Tremble had a relative athletic score of 8.8, which is pretty uh, impressive and solid for a player that didn't really exhibit that during his days at Notre Dame. Now, he didn't have a lot of production in college for the fact that he was behind a bunch of impressive tight ends. He's behind Cole Komet, now with the Bears. And now there's an upcoming uh, star, Michael Mayer, uh, in Notre Dame, too. He also sat behind him. I love the versatility Tremble can bring to the Panthers. He can line up as fullback or inline tight end. He will immediately receive a chance to be Darnold's security blanket because of the lack of talent Carolina has at the tight end position. These are the type of players you gamble on towards the middle of the draft. Players that exhibit higher ceilings because of their athletic contrib- uh, attributes. Other noticeable, Chubba Hubbard, uh, Hubbard, hard to say, but he was their fourth-round selection. He was one time considered a first-round uh, pick a couple years back. He came out of Oklahoma State. He's going to be able to spell McCaffrey or even be a, a spot starter. God forbid McCaffrey gets hurt. Uh, and Keith Trailer was someone we also uh, identified during when we covered our first show with the Senior Bowl. We loved what Taylor brought from a coverage standpoint. He was very sticky. The only issue with Taylor is, is his, his lack of tackling, to be honest with you. So, but he was a great cover corner as well. Closing thoughts. Carolina has been able to provide a more competent cast around Darnold, who's still 24 years old, by the way, in three days during the draft process than the Jets did in three years. Lastly, watch out for this defense. The Panthers are building a young, exciting, and athletic defense and continue to add this defense. Oh, sorry. And continue to add this defense by selecting not only the best cornerback this year, but the best defensive player as well. Look at what's going on on all three levels of this defense. Brian Burns, Derek Brown, 
Yutur Gross Matos, Shaq Thompson, Hassan Reddick, Dante Jackson, Jeremy Chin, and now J.C. Horn. Those are all young and exciting and uh, players that possibly can be there for a long time. I, I think Carolina did did wonderful in, in the draft, and uh, I, I I gush about J.C. Horn as well. And it started there, and it just could, it matriculated through all of their picks. So. No question they're a winner in our book. No question they're a winner in a lot of draft pundits' book and reviewing it. And um, I, I wish I could sit here and disagree with you, but I, I can't. So who do you got as a winner? I'm going to start with a loser. Oh. Because that's how I roll. I'm going with the Green Bay Packers. Sorry, Cheesehead fans, but this is just the way it's got to be. And it's it's a little less to do with the draft. There are a couple picks that I'll, I'll give them credit where where credit is due here in a moment but more about that dark cloud that brought in the storm the day of the first round of the draft surrounding Aaron Rodgers. Cassidy, huge shadow over anything the Packers were going to do that, that day and beyond, good or bad, until this problem has a resolution, whatever the resolution might be, so they can move on. The fact that the best player, their best player in the franchise in a long, long time wants out, to me that just automatic, automatically makes them losers, and there's really not a positive way to spin this. And unfortunately, this has been looming for quite some time. Um, their draft in 2020 was was suspect with their first two picks. Um, and, and I think some of that even continued here. If you go to the 29th pick overall, another opportunity to just say, let's add an early weapon, whatever that weapon might be. They went to the defensive side of the ball and they reached on the defensive side of the ball with cornerback Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Yes, this dude is a track star unquestionably most people had him rated like towards 50 overall and he's taken 29th his cover skills are super suspect he's 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 like stiff is the only way that i can explain Mm -hmm. it he's not he's not warranted in the first round of this draft especially when there are other needs and other identifiable things that can get you over the hump with the 62nd pick I like the addition of Josh Myers, the center from Ohio State. This is a position of need. This is support for whoever is under center. You just lost arguably the best center in football. Kudos. You replace that or you have a stopgap for that individual who's going to be given the chance to compete right out of the gate. So I view this as a positive. With the 85th pick, draft draft crush alert here. You selected Amari Rodgers, wide receiver out of Clemson. Now we're talking, I love the player and the pick. This was one of those needed additions for Rodgers. The question being, is it too little, too late, right? Um, and that that's what I'll always go back to. Some other notable picks, uh, Titerell Slayton, defense tackle out of Florida, Cole Van Lannan, another guard out of Wisconsin. Let's bolter, bolster that offensive line. Um, I actually like Isaiah McDuffie, the linebacker from Boston College. But again, we're talking about on the defensive side. I'm not going to belabor a point. On paper, the draft is not terrible in terms of who they brought. To me, the question is like, what is the philosophy? Where are they going? And no matter what they did here, they were going to be losers because of the Aaron Rodgers saga. And the fact that there's probably not going to be a resolution to this. Best case scenario, midway through the summer, in my personal opinion, that's a that's a that's a tough hill to climb. 
Um, this is that this is like the story like our parents would tell us back in the day. I used to have to walk to school in both directions, uphill, barefoot in the snow. Like that's what the Packers are doing right now. So unfortunately, there's just a, a dark stormy cloud that's going to hover over last season's draft, this season's draft, because I don't know if these draft classes have made has made the Green Bay Packers better now. And more importantly, in what capacity does this make them a better football team if they lose their franchise player? No lies detected here. That's that was pretty grim. I like start with a loser because then it lets me get a little bit more positive and get out of my negativity world. So give me your loser. Yeah, I mean you got me down in a gloomy mood. So, so I feel let's good. let's I keep know. it going. I got to ask you, Weston, who dat going to finish last in the NFC South? Who dat? Who dat? I'll tell you who. The New Orleans Aints. That's who. I wasn't a fan whatsoever at the New or what New Orleans accomplished in this draft. I mean, when you look at it, uh, I just. There's nothing to get side by my uh, honest opinion. First, I thought it was crazy that we we're going to mortgage up, mortgage the future to move up for a cornerback. Don't get me wrong, I love Horn, like Sertain, but none of these guys are surefire hits like Ramsey and Marshawn Lattimore were coming out of college. Thankfully, they were safe from themselves as no one agreed to trade back with them. I was floored by the Saints' first round pick for numerous reasons. First, well, yes, Peyton Turner was an ascending player towards the latter part of the draft. I personally did not have, have him as a first-round prospect. I get it. I understand the methodology behind the selection. He's 6'5", 270, 35-inch arms. He has the ideal size and length for the edge position. He got, you know, had a tested positive, again, relative athletic score of 9.68 out of 10. I get it. He's athletic. He's explosive. But, man, is he raw. And too often does he try to win with his pure athleticism instead of technique. This is your quintessential boom or bust pick. And frankly, it's something I don't think New Orleans really could afford to strike out with their first-round selection post-Breeze. Now, I'm sorry. We've seen this movie before, haven't we? Yeah, debuted back in 2018 when it was called the Marcus Davenport trade-up. So excuse me if I don't trust the Saints' process when it comes to developing raw and athletic pass rushers. I'm sorry. I'm also confused. If they wanted to go edge, why not knock the doors on Joe uh, Tryon, who I thought, uh, well, many other pundits were, you know, were higher than uh, Peyton. <laughs> Lastly, if they really wanted to address the pass rush, I felt like they could have the second round. That towards the end of the second round was the real meaty part when it comes to your edge rushers that you provide a lot of uh, value. Your your Boogie Basham, your Milton Williams, and what have you. So I just was confused by them. Boogie is such a good football name. Right? Yeah. Listen, I get Pey- Peyton Turner aside. I felt like New Orleans needed to make the offensive skill position a focus with the, one of the earliest selections. The cupboard is bare on that offense. Outside Michael Thomas can and Kamara, name another player on that side of the ball that you think can be a consistent contributor. Guess what, Sean Payton? You're going to find out just like Bill Belichick did this past year. You're going to miss your Hall of Fame quarterback carrying your team for the last 10-plus years. I absolutely have no faith whatsoever in Winston or the White Slash being able to alleviate that offense like Drew – oh, sorry, elevate, elevate that offense like Drew Brees did. And that's with Drew Brees' dead shoulder and all. Players that were still on the board when they were picking at 28, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, Pat Fryermuth, Terrace Marshall, all players that would provide a jolt to that offense and provide a solid foundation for either the quarterbacks they currently have in camp or the quarterback that they will get in the future. 
The Pete Warner selection was, eh, okay. He's more of a hard-hitting old-school linebacker that was struggling pass coverage. Yeah, he'll make a splash hit there, here or there, but he really hasn't shown the ability to be a playmaker at Ohio State when he was there for four years. The shoulda, woulda, coulda and me would have liked them to wait around or so to select someone like Jabril Cox. The only selection I did like was Paulson Adebo. At 6'1", 192 pounds, a former Car- uh, Stanford Cardinal has that ideal size that teams do cover for their cornerbacks. So I feel like during his two years when he this converted wide receiver displayed a real knack for being around the ball. He had 24 pass breakups and eight interceptions, so he's a ball hawk. I like they I like that the fact they paired up Lattimore with Adebo, uh, even more so because we don't know what's going to happen with Lattimore, so I did like that. But all in all, I felt like this is not a draft class that excited me. It lacked direction and focus, and frankly, it reeked of confusion and desperation. Not a good look for a franchise that appears to be on a downward spiral, in my opinion. Yeah, coming off of a first place finish in the in the division. I'm telling you, I, I told you as soon as the season over. Worst. Told you as soon as the season over. This is the this is the end of the Saints. It just also shows you how important the quarterback position is, right? Like yeah. all of a sudden, there's just no faith in what a team can do when your your leader is gone, you know, yeah. and and walks off into the sunset. And that's what Drew Brees was for this team. And you know, like he had a, a storied career. And no longer. And how do you fill that gap? It ain't being done with Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. You and I both know that. I don't care how good Sean Payton is, you know, with with the playbook. So, yeah, I think we will see uh, a prolonged period of the Aints, unfortunately. Awesome. So I'll get into a winner in this segment. And then we'll get into some fun. For me, the Washington football team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love what they did in this draft. A lot of it is predicated on the first four picks that they made in this draft, but to me they were so solid that it kind of negates anything else that was done. Um, not that anything negative was done. I just I think their first four picks were exactly what the team needed, exactly um, you know holes that they needed to fill, and they just got better in the first two days of the draft. There's no other way to put it. Um, they addressed areas of need with solid players, no reaches. We discussed in free agency how linebacker um, being maybe the lone area of deficiency on a very solid defense. And what they do, they went out and got themselves the best at the position in the draft, in my opinion. They had a potential first-round offensive tackle fall to them at 51 to add depth to the offensive line. And someone who's probably going to come in and compete to start right out of the gate as well. To me, the first four picks, Davis, Cosme, uh, Benjamin St. Juice, and Diami Brown, um, with a late round addition with potential upside, and I'm not going to give it away here, are what made this draft. This is already a competitive team. With these additions, I am confident you are looking at the NFC champs. I, I think this is their division. Yes, they were last year, but like you, they they will repeat based on what they have, and you're giving them a more competent quarterback as well, right? Like, regardless of the age, regardless of what it is, you're giving him more weapons, he's more competent, they're going to compete. So we had them as winners in free agency, and they repeat here as winners in the draft. All bodes well in the offseason. Jamin Davis, the linebacker of Kentucky, 6'3", 234. He's a tackle machine. He had three picks last year. He took one of those to the house. He flies to the football. He's what they needed um, at that second tier of the defense. We talk, I already talked about Sam Cos, Cosme and the fit that he is. Um, he's a better pass blocker than he is in the running game, but he's athletic enough that the technique's going to come. It's just a matter of time and needs to be taught. Love the Benjamin St. Juice pick, the cornerback out of Minnesota. 
202, long corner. He could probably even convert to safety. So what is he? He's a chess piece for Ron Rivera, who loves to move people around on the defensive side of the ball. He ex- has experience in multiple coverage schemes. He can tackle. And most importantly, he's a developmental guy with a ton of upside that doesn't need to play right away based on who they already have in the secondary there. So again, this bodes well for them. Diami Brown, the wide receiver, North Carolina, 6'1", 190, just under 33. This dude has offensive tackle size arms and plays wide receiver. He's a deep threat to complement what's already there from the passing attack in Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. He had eight touchdowns of 40-plus yards, screams, playmaker. 20-plus yard. he averaged 20-plus yards a catch over the last 100 receptions of his collegiate career. He creates separation downfield. He's just that long body type with a long reach. I really enjoyed watching his tape. Candidly, um, I wanted my own team to target this guy where he went because I thought he'd be a nice addition to the the wide receiver corpse. But kudos to to Washington. They went and pegged another player who's going to, to me, will have impact right out of the gate for them. They drafted a tight end, John Bates out of Boise State. Added more depth to the secondary in Derek Forrest, the safety out of Cincinnati. And I'm going to stay here. They did the unthinkable, Lou. And this is why they get an A-plus versus an A. They drafted a long snapper with the last name Cheeseman, of all things. That is a long snapper's name, Cameron Cheeseman. But to me... This signifies where how Washington feels about their roster already based on previous picks, what they did in free agency and who was already there, that they went and drafted a long snapper. You invite 70 of these to camp and one of them sticks, right? And they stick for a year or two at best, but they drafted a guy. Is he a quality long snapper? Like, yeah, he's a quality long snapper, but you didn't have to draft him. I assure you he was not being drafted by never scouted a long snapper yeah. before. Um but again, I think that speaks to how comfortable they are within their roster and they want to boost that third phase of the game. So you got to love it. Um, they drafted Will Bradley King, a D-end out of Baylor. And to me, the icing on the cake here was Shaka Tony, the defensive end out of Penn State, a late round flyer on a super athletic guy. He's one of the guys that I watched going into the Senior Bowl. He's one of the ones that I pegged to see that I wanted, you know, how he would perform against some, some tier talent knowing Penn State just had a, a weird year. But this is what we were talking about with these like super athletic guys. Like this is where you take them, yep. right? Like this is a no risk, all reward type pick. And if they're adding another piece to that outside linebacking slash edge slash pass rusher core that they already have, wow, the dangerous just got even more dangerous. So I saw some some draft grades related to Washington that were in the B range. To me, the, this is an A draft, what they did, and I, I, don't, I don't even have a second thought about that. There's no coincidence that Washington has turned its team around the second they hired their head coach, Ron Rivera. The guy, the guy knows football. He, he knows football. He knows personnel. He's been there himself, part of championship teams. Like, I told my buddy, he's was changing a, the culture there. I, t- I told my buddy, who's a Cowboys fan, I'm like, as soon as he's the best head coach in that division, so. Yeah, and it's not even close, yeah. to be honest with you. And I just think they're yeah. on paper, Washington should 100. I don't care that Dak is back, right? Like yeah. they should win this division. All right, let's get some fun. Yep. All right. We have 13 minutes. All to right, get we'll, through we'll this. make it quick and uh, quick and painless. All right, like a root canal. All right. 
Let's do the fan ra- rants and raves, all right? I'm going to start off with a rave, all right? You ready? Of course you are. I reconciled with the Bears fans. I gave you some love. Now I'm going to your Jet fans, all right? I'm taking my inner Jet in me right now. I'm trying to channelize, channel all of your ridiculousness into this, okay? So I hope I do you guys justice. Got to start with a stupid chant first, by the way. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. After this year's... Where's Fireman at? Well, you're killing me. Sorry, dude. After this year's draft, I'm more pumped up than Fireman Ed hopped on coffee and Red Bull Vodka's, baby. This isn't your daddy's Jets anymore. Joe, Joe Douglas hit it out of the park with the picks he made. First, he got a new face of the franchise and Zach Wilson. And all the New York haters out there are saying the same thing. Another first-round quarterback who's going to flop? I don't think so. Yeah, I know we haven't had luck with quarterbacks drafted early in the draft lately. There's Mr. Butt Fumble himself, Mark Sanchez, followed by Geno Smith. Two years later, we took Bryce Petty, who learned to read defenses just like I did by playing Madden. Then there was Christian Hackenberg overthrowing sideline reporters and non-contact drills during practice. And last but not certainly least, Sam Darnold, who's still seeing ghosts out there. Wait a minute. This, this is supposed to be not a rant. This is supposed to be a rave. I'm sorry. Weston, I need a second to get back on track here. My bad. All right, let me say my mantra. This is not the same old Jets. It's not the same old Jets. It's not the same old Jets. All right, I feel better. All right, I 100% support this pick. This is a QB-driven league. You either have one or and successful or you don't, and you keep on looking for one. Wilson has phenomenal arm talent, often compared to Aaron Rodgers-esque. And he can throw off platform, which is important because he probably won't have a perfect pocket to throw from in New York. I'm tired of critics bringing up the level of competition he faced in college. Shut up. Sure, it may not have been the toughest, but this guy was throwing dimes all over the field to future accountants and enterprise rent-a-card account managers. He didn't have the luxury of throwing to four future first-round selections like some quarterbacks that I know of. Okay, enough with the new Zach City, or what I like to call him, Zach's Fifth Avenue. Douglas went back to back home runs and selected the third best offensive line, lineman in the draft with Elijah Vera Tucker, baby. I was listening to those guys on the WTF podcast, and they were saying that AVT can be the next Zach Martin. Pair him up with Mount Becton, and Wilson will never have to worry about his blind side for the next 10 years. I guess the Jets were sick and tired of everyone saying they never built around Darnold, so... We decided to triple down and select another offensive piece to ensure that we don't have the same problem with Wilson. In the second round, we got Wilson another weapon to throw to when he selected wide receiver Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. This guy is explosive. He can line the outside, he can line the inside. This guy is giving me Tyler Lockett vibes, man. Moore is a dog, and I'm excited Douglas didn't piss away this pick off with an off-the-ball linebacker or something like that. I'm not sure if you guys will understand that reference. There's more. Got a touchdown and pissed like a dog in the end zone. So keep up with me. Lastly, the Jets made him another savvy move and waited on drafting like a, a running back, like good teams do, instead of the ones that draft running backs in the first rounds. I'm looking at you, Pittsburgh. They were able to grab Michael Carter, who, whose play reminds me of Alvin Kamara coming out of New Orleans. He has fantastic Balance, nice wiggle, and is a legit home run hitter every time he touches the ball. The lights are bright on Broadway again, fellas. The last time I was this excited about the New York Jets, 
It was when Warren Sapp slipped to them in the 1995 draft. Yeah. Kyle Brady, who? <laughs> oh, Lou, you are always and forever the artist. I, I appreciate your rants and insights. And even I, who sits next to you. Never know what the hell I'm going to say. Yeah, like not a clue. You gotta, you gotta, I'm like a, you got to listen to what I, there's a lot of induendos in there. So whenever I speak on these rants, you got to pay attention. <laughs> Well, one thing that you sh- probably could have guessed correctly is I'm going to begin with a loser. Okay. I am the Los Angeles Rams. My Ramily. This is football, not a track meet. We trade away our first round picks for the last decade and the next decade, and we start by drafting a dude named Two Two. A woman's piece of clothing who is five foot eight, 155 pounds, soaking wet. No player in the NFL since 2003 has weighed in at 155 pounds or less and been drafted. And this guy went 57th overall. The NFL stands for not for long, as in our window to win is not for long. Who else was on the board at number 57 when we picked Atwell at a position of need? Terrence Marshall Jr. was available. Multiple offensive tackles to replace our 65-year-old left tackle Andrew Whitworth Whitworth were available. Remind me again how the Tavon Austin experiment went? I'm, I'm curious. Ramley, we do actually like the picks of Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas, who is an incredibly athletic and gifted corner And we did bring in another mobile tight end that has had success in McVay's offense in Jacob Harris, who is a converted wide receiver from UCF. The rest of this draft has a funk to it. Do you smell the funk of this draft? No. I really mean it. Jake Funk, a running back that we selected in the seventh (laughs) round of this draft when we have plenty of running backs on our roster already. This entire draft has a funky reek to it. Rams, do you feel that? It's the feeling of our little brother in the Los Angeles Chargers knocking at our doorstep, destined to be the only team of relevance in L.A. This is what happens when first-round picks are traded away with no regard. It becomes very hard to replenish a depleting roster. We must win now or it's not happening anytime soon in this NFC West. Yeah, no. Uh it was their their draft was awful. And yeah, Tutu Atwell. Yeah, no, that this is what happens when the head coaches get arrogant and cute. Yeah, I you know what baffles me? And by most the way, uh, I kind of want to. Every time you said the word Ramley, I kind of want to punch you in the face. Well, this is what I deal with. It just, on, it just pisses on, me. It just pisses me off on Twitter as a 49ers. And I even know that was a thing, by the way. It is. It is that, a thing. Ramley. It is a real thing. I, I swear to you. I hate you right now. All right. All right. Well, that puts me in a good mood because I guess I'm doing another mind loser now. Um, more of a melancholy uh, inspiration. Okay. Okay. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Hello, it's me again. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Raider Nation, first, I want to thank you for all accepting me in the support group, Losers Anonymous. I'm so, I'm sorry to all the animals over out there because I'm about to beat another dead horse like a nagging wife. But I have to say, the Las Vegas Raiders are once again losers this offseason. It kills me, but it, it, it pains me to say that. I made a special cameo, and by the way, I still didn't get paid on it, 
on the WTF podcast where I went to the debauchery of the Las Vegas Raiders free agency moves. And after heavy medication and alcohol, I realized it's fine. You know, it's fine. Not every team can be winners in free agency. You know, perhaps our focus was a draft, you know, to rebound and retool. So what did they do a couple of weeks back? They pulled a Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber and totally redeemed ourselves. Well, with our first round pick, we reached for offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood, while both Christian Darrisaw and Tevin Jenkins were still on the board, who were way better than Alex Leatherwood. This is deja vu all over again. Remind me of the Clown Farrell uh, pick a couple years back. Chucky Mayock, you know, they have shown the uncanny ability to reach for players for the mere fact that they play for big programs. And to say it hasn't worked for them would be nothing but an understatement. And I'm going to ask the question. Name the last offensive lineman who came out of college and lived up to the collegiate career. I can't think of one. Then you got those draft pundits. Hey, scout the player, not the helmet. Okay. If that's true, then why is Penn State referred to as linebacker university? Or why is LSU known as cornerback university? These programs specialize at these positions, and they have a certain type of criteria. So excuse me for making a generalization that seems to hold water. Alabama offensive linemen fail to live up to the hype. All right, I digress, all right? Deep breaths, deep breaths. Usa. Now, we were very fortunate for Trayvon Morig, safety out of TCU, who I thought was the best safety in the draft, by the way. He slipped us in round two. And I heard a lot of chatter from us fellow Raider fans saying, okay, Leatherwood was a major reach, but Morig was a nice steal, so it's a wash. You know what that tells me? The Raiders' draft process is severely flawed, and they have to rely on luck to make a decent selection. Speaking of flawed, Weston, do you notice something with the first five selections in this year's draft by the Raiders? We selected three safeties. What are your cliches you normally hear? You can't have too many edge rushers or can't have too many offensive linemen. Have you ever heard an intelligent football person say, you can't have too many safeties in the NFL nowadays? No, because it's not a premium position that you throw abundance of resources at. Edge rushers, now those are the premium positions to focus on. And thankfully, Las Vegas was able to secure Malcolm Kuntz as rusher out of Buffalo. I guess Gruden finally realized trading Khalil Mack away wasn't a smart idea and bad for business. So why not replace the budding All-Pro by reaching for a huge project in Kuntz who averaged four sacks in college with Buffalo. Watch out, Mahomes. Duck out, you know, Herbert. Be careful, Rodgers. You see what I did there, by the way? Rodgers with the Broncos. <laughs> Koontz is coming for you. Oh, he's coming. But hey, maybe maybe this is all part of their master plan, right? You know, have to tank for the next great quarterback coming out of college next year? Am I right? Right? Please tell me I'm right. I can't. <laughs> I can't. What's What's... Baffling, you are done, right? Yeah, no, okay. I'm done. What's and they're done too. Okay, yeah. What's baffling is I just felt like a lot of these picks were to make up for past picks that just recently happened. Three and, safeties, yeah, to make up for the lack of safety play that they have drafted, right? So it's it's sorry, Raiders fans, but from my lens, it's comical. You're going to the black hole. All right, let's go out on a high note. We're up against time. Okay. I'm going to run through this. I'm not even going to say the team's name, but you're going to know it right how we start. Watch your kneecaps, boy. This team went and found the talent to fit with the coaching personality. Penny Sewell fell into our laps with the seventh pick overall. An area of strength, one of few on this team, just got stronger for us with the best tackle in the draft. We follow that up with Levi, 
Anwuzer Ricky, who put up a season's worth of stats in the first half of the Senior Bowl. And I quote, he likes to F people up. We follow that up with a third round pick in Aleem McNeil, a nose tackle who will destroy the pocket with his 320 pound frame. This man played running back and linebacker in high school. You heard that correctly. That's insane. He's an athletic monster. And that's nearly 1,000 pounds of nastiness and intensity we just added into our trenches. While teams are looking out for their kneecaps, we got sneaky and brought in some skill guys who can ball as well. Ayafitu Melofanu, add his name, add his names to the list of people we can't pronounce from this draft, who can <laughs> flat out cover receivers. He's long, athletic, and he will go get you the rock. We snuck in a six foot, 200 pound receiver who played in the Pac 12 and who has six first names Amon, Ra, Julian, Aru, J. St. Brown, and whose father is a two time Mr. Universe bodybuilder. The pick of Derek Barnes, the linebacker from Purdue, is going to get overlooked, but this man can ball. He is a two-time all-conference player who will immediately fill holes in this defense from recent departures. Motown, we may need to keep bags on our heads for another season, but the Dan Campbell experiment is off to one hell of a start, and there is a lot to be excited about in the Motor City besides Ford, Lincoln Mercury, and GM plants. So right now, I give you a lot of credit, and you have a lot uh, big balls for just trying to go through that draft class because half those names I couldn't even pronounce. I was not going to even try to touch that with a fifty foot pole. Detroit Lions did well for themselves, and I think they did it by just staying true to what they're the philosophy they're trying to implement, and they got themselves. Um, a hell of a draft class. Yeah, it was an old school approach, which I have been preaching for a long time. Build in the trenches. You build close to the line, the line of scrimmage as opposed to the, uh, the outside. And they really have hammered that down with the draft in their offseason. The only thing they really lack is a quarterback and some skill position players, in my honest opinion. Well, Lou, that wraps up our formal, done. Our formal coverage of the, the 2021 NFL draft. Been a lot of fun leading up to it. A lot of fun dissecting. Um, kind of the fallout, if you will, for for lack of a better term. I don't know how we recover from this and what we come back with, but we will come up with something, I promise you, whether it's OTA-driven or just evaluating rookie minicamps, but we will be back. We predictions. Will be, predictions. We will be back with content. Um, this is not the last uh, you'll hear from us, but it's the last you'll hear from us this evening. All right. Good night.